what a great day it is. The Feast of St. Albert the Great. It's a big deal for us, and we've got another great announcement for you. College is a bubble. We're here to pop it. The Albertus Magnus Institute is reinventing the academy, offering education that's as free as it is free. Welcome to the Magnus Podcast. With your help, we are liberating the liberal arts. Now, your host, John Johnson. Normally, this podcast is evergreen, meaning you can listen to the episodes whenever your heart desires. But today is a great day to be listening to this episode today because it is the Feast of St. Albert the Great. If you happen to be listening, perhaps tomorrow or another day, that's also perfectly fine. But now is the best time because now we're celebrating a huge milestone. Of course, it's a big day for us in the history of the Albertus Magnus Institute. November 15th, 2018, the board got together and formalized a plan and officially incorporated, albeit very quietly, uh, to, to form the Albertus Magnus Institute Incorporated. November 15th, 2019, we officially launched the organization to the public. November 15th, 2020, we officially launched this crazy thing called the Magnus Fellowship, open to anybody providing world-class education, live and interactive, for free. That's a wild one. And now, on November 15th, 2021, we have another huge announcement. We're, we're announcing the Great Campaign. It's a time of giving between now and the end of the year when friends of the Institute, fellows, anybody really, can come together and support something great, a great counter-revolution in education known as the Albertus Magnus Institute. And really, your generosity has propelled us to phenomenal heights. I think I don't think anybody could have imagined where we'd be just two years after launching. The fellowship, to give you an idea, now serves about 500 fellows, Okay, 500 student fellows that are now benefiting from these online classes. And, and to put that in proportion, that's more than many of our endorsed institutions' entire student bodies combined. And we have a staff of four, four paid staff and me. So uh, it's no small feat, and it's only possible thanks to the blessings of God and the direction of God, uh, I will say that, uh, that's been very clear, and your generosity as benefactors of this great mission. And I'm edified every day to see the support that comes in for it and the thirst that is out there and the demand that we're doing our best to fill and it's only possible with your generosity. So in order to celebrate that, we got together with a few of your favorite AMI staff members, Nicole and Brian, and maybe one of your favorite uh, AMI senior fellows, the great Dr. Deal Hudson, who's been so helpful to us uh, getting this thing off the ground, getting our faculty assembled. And his classes, as of late especially, have just been amazing. You can hear the last few episodes from his uh, Flannery O'Connor class. It's great stuff. And so he's he's done such such good for this institution, and we really couldn't do it without him, and we couldn't do it without you. So if you want to support the great campaign, visit magnusinstitute.org today. Make a painful, large, one-time, or monthly donation. It's tax-deductible, and I promise you it's money well spent toward a great cause, and we need the help. We absolutely cannot do this without you. So enjoy this conversation. It's three beers with some good people. All right, welcome back to the Magnus Podcast, joined by three very special guests, uh, staff members and uh, staff slash board member, uh, Nicole Roundtree, our fellowship support coordinator, Brian Long, director for operations and CFO on the board of Albertus Magnus, Inc., and the great Dr. Deal Hudson, senior fellow in the Albertus Magnus Institute Fellowship, when he's not golfing in knickers or enjoying a fine scotch, he's teaching in the fellowship. Is that what you do? What else do you, what is, what else is it that you do here, Deal? Well, uh, you know, I was so excited, John, when you guys got in touch with me to be involved in this, because right now, you know, we're suffering from what decades, perhaps five decades since I was in college of 
diminution of liberal education. And to be very specific, familiarity with the great books and the great ideas and what Mortimer Adler called the great conversation. Because when you read the great books, at least chronologically, there is a conversation going on because Virgil's responding to Homer and Dante's responding to Virgil and Homer and all the way up the chain. Uh, and so the, the issue, so many issues come up when you lose that, when people don't know it, they don't recognize names, they don't recognize uh Ideas. In other words, you lose common, what, com, not common ground, common intellectual ground, common grounds of sensibility and beauty, common ground about what truth is, goodness, especially the human condition. And so we become fragmented because you have generations of students coming out of university or being educated in the culture by the media who, frankly, have a very extremely narrow frame of reference. And even that frame is sort of uh, distorted through the lens of politics. Yeah, and that conversation is not only carried out through the ages among and between authors and and readers, but I mean, very much so in, uh, for instance, the classes that you teach. I mean, talk about uh, great conversations. I mean, you have you have a particular knack deal for leading a great classroom conversation, a great seminar. And especially in your Flannery O'Connor class, I've been listening to the last few podcast episodes or little snippets of that, just a little little taste, right? Tip of the iceberg. But how do you feel about the students in that class? I mean, is that just what happens when you, know, it you was expose a mind to a great text? I told that class at the end it was the most it was the most uh, I learned more from that group of students than any other group of students I've ever had. We had just an all-star team. Uh, it really there was. were people who came at it from different points of view, different levels of knowledge. Some had no knowledge of Flynn. Some had a lot. But we found a way to get everybody's uh, point of view in there, their comments. And you could just look at the chat, <laughs> the chat record of that class. It tells a story in itself. And I, as a teacher, I'm concentrating, of course, on faces and and voices, gauging where people are in relation. Do they want to say something? Are you hiding from me and the rest of the class? Should I call on them and get them back, you know, back involved? And uh, it was just a delight from beginning to end. Uh, and and the, I'd say the quality discussion grew every week. So I really think it's a matter of teach, you know, of treating a Zoom class the way you would treat a classroom. In other words, you key off the faces, you key off the expressions, you key off what people are thinking and saying and feeling, and you you move the conversation forward through that network. But you as teacher have to make sure you're going somewhere that that is uh, makes sense to go. It's rational. And sometimes you just have to kind of tell a student, no, no, that, that's, we're not <laughs> going <them> down. there. <laughs> well, and I noticed in your, yeah, in your class, you were, you were challenged as much as anybody by, by some of the minds in that class. Uh, they, and they were not afraid to sort of poke at your ideas about the text and give you theirs. And it was a beautiful, respectful dialogue. It's a way what is it be. about? What is it? It's about? It is. Yeah. And so what is it about the seminar method in particular that distinguishes itself against other me methods or opposite methods of education. Well, uh, you know, in, John, in a way that is bearing fruit. I, I'm going to say something just flat out. People don't learn from lectures. And because the first cause of knowledge is a student. Now, you could you can lecture in a way, devise them. You, you can play with the lecture style so that students become part of it. But if you're lecturing, why not just hand them a book or hand them a paper that you've written? Why not just let them read it at their, in their speed at their time, mark it up, make it their own, and then say, okay, we're going to talk about that chapter of my book that I gave you to read. In other words, why, why just talk to the class? Now, 
in my in my kind of seminar, I might take five minutes and get going on something and stay with it. But it has an occasion to rise. And of course, at the beginning, it's my job as teacher to say something that gets the group mo- mojo moving. And so that is like a mini tiny lecture. Maybe it's just a single question. I know that several classes, I started with just one question. And it was usually the kind that got pe- people's eyes lit up a little bit. John, and got interested. Nicole, you're moderating half of these classes. Oh, sorry, was, Brian. Go ahead. I was ahead. just going to say, um, you know, it could be, it might be worthwhile now to kind of talk about the vision that we had for the fellowship in, in the Institute. Because on this particular point, there's actually a very kind of keen um, and lucid insight. Um, so if we look at our list of endorsed institutions and we look at our mission and the sort of courses we offer, uh, we really don't, we don't offer lecture courses, right? And, and that is because we're situating ourselves in a very real uh, tradition of learning and a very clear insight. There's something um, which places uh, our approach to the courses, places the human person at the center, but it holds in play a certain kind of tension that I think Deal was just getting at. The lecture has to open up to a, to a conversation because teaching the relationship between a master and a disciple is an intensely human one, and true doctrine passes from one person to another. So a sterile lecture can't uh, facilitate that, right? Because the student becomes the kind of object, something is they're, they're undergoing, there's a kind of passion that they're suffering through the professor's lecture, right? Uh, but, but in the seminar, something has to be drawn out of them. And so this, this vision, it, it really comes out of the tradition. It's what we experienced at St. Mary's College. Um, it's kind of where that comes from, right? You know, I would, Brian, I, I would uh, qualify one thing I said. And I've met, I've met maybe a half dozen men in my life and women, professors, teachers, scholars, who I would sit and listen to as long as right. they wanted to talk. Uh, because there was something that because there's something there that in a way you can only get by hearing them. You can't get from mm-hmm. reading their book. I mean, it's that sort of like Mortimer Adler, for example, who I worked with for three summers at the Aspen Institute. Um, there was, of course, and Mortimer was not a lecturer. He was the you know the 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 great grandfather of the Socratic method in his great books program. But uh, when he when he wanted to say something and take 10 or 15 minutes, it was mesmerizing because he was just in such total command of it. So there are those exceptions. But, Brian, I'm glad you pointed out that the Albertus Magnus Institute itself is devoted to a kind of Socratic learning. Is there any other kind? I mean, Nicole, I want to ask you, you, uh, you moderate many of these classes and all of our fellows know you, you serve them so well, getting them enrolled, welcoming them, welcoming them to the fellowship, sending out their certificates. What is your, uh, your take on their reaction? We have fellows that come from the, have a background in the seminar method, have a background in the great books. And we have fellows that have no grounding in such a, a way of education. And we see this beautiful cross-pollination in classes. And so w- what's your reaction to the way that of that dynamic, especially for the newcomers to the method? Well, I think, like you said, everybody comes from a very different background. We have, you know, homeschool moms to lawyers to engineers to teachers, every, everyone in between. Um, I will say that a seminar kind of class um, it's something to get used to. It requires a lot more of you. You can't just sit back, turn your screen off and listen um, and sort of check out. There's, and there is, I think, a learning curve to learning how to talk, learning how to discuss, 
Um, so that it's not just somebody asks a question of the professor, the professor answers, and then you write back where you started again. The next person asks a completely unrelated question, the professor answers, you write back where you started. And um, I think that the classes where the discussions are best, it's because sort of newcomers are learning from the more experienced um, students in a classroom setting. Um, they're getting their cues to talk from the professor. Um, but there is a learning curve to learning how to really be present in a class. Because I think, talk about the brokenness of education, most people just have no experience in discussion. And there's an art to discussing. Um, and I think the more classes we've had, the more um, the more success we've had in that. And people, the fellows that have returned and returned um, have sort of learned or are learning the art of. There's the, the art of conversation, which let's talk about what's involved in that. Number one, listening. Mortimer Adler wrote a whole book about this. And there are so many people who uh, don't have the patience to listen and who uh, are so busy thinking about what they want to say that uh, they don't take in the thread of the discussion and also to respect that thread. In other words, to respect what we're talking about rather than just, you know, throwing up on it, starting all over again, going off in a new direction. And I always approach every class like I would uh, uh, a happening. I mean, that's a very, that, that dates me. I'm sorry, 60s. But I, I don't want students to know what know what's going to happen. I don't want them to think I'm predictable. Or the only thing, the only thing that should be predictable is I'm going to ask questions. And we're going to talk about it. That's predictable. But I, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Nicole, will tell you, I sometimes started off class with music. You know, just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. The last class you and taught. And that, you know, just to set a mood. And you had um, one of the classes you started off with a recording of Flannery O'Connor speaking. Um, you know, the technology has its downsides, but that's a great thing that we barely. You can barely understand what she's saying. She had the the most deep Southern uh, drawl. And uh, when she went to lecture around the country, people just were totally baffled by what she was saying. So, Deal, you were able to integrate recordings, music, discussion, all in an online platform. And you seem like a pro at that. I'm wondering how much traction you think the seminar method of education can get in an online setting and, and what about what we're doing is sort of different than other online programs in your estimation? I think you have the ideal uh, platform because uh, it's very helpful to have, be able to show your screen to the students. For example, it's very helpful for whether you want to show something that's just a, a still life or a video or an audio or just have all the students reading the same text at the same time from the same screen rather than everybody finding it in their book and their page and so forth. So we could even, we down the road could think about doing more. For example, I want to bring in some uh, we're international experts on the Sigrid Unset to talk to the class so that we can have uh, not to not to take over class, but just to have moments where we bring in somebody who is uh, uh, a well-known scholar in this area and can, uh, again, mix it up with us in a way that we're mixing it up with each other. Give the audience a little preview of what's coming in your next class in the fellowship. Well, Sigrid Unset was a Norwegian Catholic writer, a convert who was an early one of the early feminist writers in Scandinavia. And she became a Catholic in her 20s during a troubled marriage. And she uh, took, she ended up 
her husband left her. She ended up taking his children from a previous marriage and their children and moving back to Norway, raising all of them and writing books. And she, her great medieval book uh, trilogy and, and uh, her Master of Hesfiken in four volumes, won her the Nobel Prize in the, I think, 1926 or eight. And she became a, a world figure at that time. I mean, think about it. Here was this Catholic writer, was a convert, a medievalist, who became a world figure in the late 1920s. This is between the wars, obviously. And all the books she wrote from that time on, more novels, a hagiography, memoirs, short stories. She wrote a Christmas book. All of them became bestsellers in English because her uh, Master of Hesviken and Tristan Lover's Daughter were tr uh, translated very well and published by Knopf, which was the most respected, respected imprint in all of English-speaking books. Wow. Sounds great. Now, well, Kristen Lovren's daughter is sorry. rated by many as the greatest of all Catholic novels. I think what you really have to say, it's, it's in a top 10, maybe a top five. Uh, I've read it now more, more times than I can remember. And I read it in the original Knopf translation. Then a, about 10 years ago, Tina Nunnally, an outstanding translator of Norwegian, published it another translation in English that made it take off again. And that about 15 years ago, Liv Ullmann is a very famous Scandinavian actress, famous for her work with Ingmar Bergman. She made a movie out of the first volume of that trilogy. And she called it Kristen Lovren's daughter. And it's quite good. She wanted to go on to do the other two parts, but couldn't get the funding. But I would encourage people, if they want a little quick introduction, to find Lee Woolman's directorial debut of Chris, in Kristen Lawrence's Daughter. Awesome. So magnusinstitute.org, if you want to become a fellow, if you're already, if you're not already one, join that class with Deal Hudson. Nicole, what else is coming up in the fellowship in the spring? How many more classes do we have on the books? While you're looking at that, uh, we are, this is pretty remarkable deal. I don't know if you know this, but we now have a fellowship of more than 500 total fellows. And, and what that means is that to give you an idea of the proportion, we're now serving more people in the fellowship than many of our in, endorsed institutions have in their entire student body. Okay. And what that tells me is that, is that the market and the need and the thirst for this sort of learning, this other sort of learning is greater than even we could have anticipated. And this is two years in and really one year of actually offering courses. We're serving 500 fellows. And so we cannot offer enough courses to keep up with demand. Listen, uh, I think Albertus Magnus is, is destined to grow into a great educational institution. I think things are going to happen to it that you, even you, the founders and the the geniuses behind this cannot anticipate. You've cast your bread upon the water. It will come back. And you just have to have patience. And, uh, you know, every day you you wake up and you just you think about what can I do today to grow this grow this opportunity for people who are hungry. But, you know, people are very shy about. Uh, their intellectual vulnerability about revealing what they don't know. Brian, I'm sure you've seen this, you know, in your experience. People are so afraid that people will think they're dumb. And what you have to do is, is say, wait a minute, this is about the joy of learning. You know, that spark, that moment of insight. And get over what you don't know and join in. Look at this as an opportunity to share the share the love, share the joy. And I, this is my attitude. And I mean, so I'm there to you know somehow light the light the match. Yep, that's it. It's uh, 
learning of this sort kind of sells itself. And that's why people have been so receptive to it. There are many challenges and, and patience is something that we need to learn every day. Uh, I, I know, I think the biggest challenge for us is, well, I, I'd rather ask Brian that Brian, what is the biggest challenge for us? <laughs> the, the, um, what's the biggest criticism we get? Let me, I, I know what we know what the biggest criticism we get is, right? It's wow. why don't you charge for this? <laughs> why don't we do? Why aren't yeah. you charging for this? That well, is the, what, so what is it, Brian? Why what, don't we charge for this? Why don't we charge for this? It is. It is. It, it is kind of crazy. Well, it's because we have a particular vision about the state of things in higher education. There's a there's a corruption at a very fundamental level um, within tertiary education. And from there, it's, we're seeing it devolve in our, in our culture. Um, the, one of the reasons why there's been such a diminution of liberal education in the academy is precisely um, due to a certain commodification of the student and the learner. The seminar method cuts against that. That's one way we cut against it, uh, which we place the dignity and the reality of the human person at the center of what we're doing. But another way is by um, focusing in a very fundamental way on the rejection of the commodification of learning. As soon as I, and that cuts, and that goes in, in more than one direction. So we, we not only do we not ch charge tuition to the student, we do not pay a fee for service to the senior fellow who's instructing the course. And both of those, and the decision to do those two things comes from, from this insight that, uh, what must be center at the center of our work, we call it the fellowship, the Magnus fellowship. Every student is a fellow. They're welcomed into a community of learning and they become part of it. One of the things that's uh, destroyed higher education in the West is a process which uh, sees a fee for service model, right? You're offering me some commodity and I pay you. So, so the professor is being paid uh, to offer his services and the student is being paid uh, or, is, or is paying the institution to receive them, right? And then at the end of it, he gets some kind of sheepskin, some certification, uh, <laughs> which, which he paid for at the end. We reject that fundamentally by it's really inviting our fellows to subscribe to the work of the Institute, to, to unite to a common good, which is spiritual and shared. Uh, uh, it's a, it, knowledge is shareable. And, um, and we see, we see this in the, in the, in the Republic, right? There's so many things in our polity which can't be shared. Bodies can't be shared. Um, you, you, your, your, um, your house can't be shared. Uh, your, your things can't be shared. Right. Um, but the truth, right. Wisdom can in fact be shared and not only shared, but it's, there's some, uh, kind of mysterious, uh, paradox by which, uh, the, the more, we are initiated into and initiate others into the life of the mind, the more we seem to possess it. And that's the nature of, of common goods, right? The more we, the more we partake of them and beautiful share in them said. with others, then the more we all have them, unlike a cake or something, right? The more you share yeah. it, the less there is for everybody. So that's sort of, it's a revolutionary. Right yeah. Anything deal, immaterial can be shared. Anything that's immaterial. Those things that you said can't be shared. What they all have in common is their material. And I'd like to ask John 
or this question. Uh, what is it that keeps you going every day? You've had, I've been in touch with you from the beginning. We've talked a lot about the project and it's an uphill battle. You know, the Koreans have a proverb after one mountain, another mountain. And I've experienced this when I grew Crisis Magazine after taking it over for 15 years, that it was a very gradual growing process. And it was, frankly, involved a lot of suffering. So what is it that keeps you going? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think initially it was a huge leap. It was a huge gamble to sort of gamble on the generosity of the fellows and to really give something for free that was of great value. And and I think they responded really well, not only in class, but in, in generosity. And so the fellows themselves, that's the, that's the first answer to your question. What keeps us going is seeing their faces in class, seeing the fruits of our labor, seeing all the beautiful intermingling, you know, people from all parts of the world coming together under the light of great texts and really getting to interact with world-class professors, world-class faculty whose books they've been reading for decades, maybe. And now they're in one of 25 student fellows in a class at the feet of this teacher, at the feet of this author of a great text. So the fellows themselves keep us going for sure. And, and we entrust to our fellows the responsibility not only to be educators, but to uh, not only to be educated, rather, but to be co-educators in the seminar method that you mentioned, where, where they are as responsible for teaching each other as you are uh, for teaching them, but also to provide for the material, uh, the material patrimony of, of the Institute, because obviously we need money to survive. Um, I'm a volunteer, uh, it deals very much also often a volunteer. Uh, I mean, to Brian's point, we don't, we don't pay uh, a wage to our professors because this would be beneath their dignity, but we do offer an honorarium as that is something that's freely given a uh, sort of comp compensation that's freely given. So operating this and serving 500 fellows, and we think we've done 15 classes now, this all has a tremendous monetary cost. And so we do count on fellows uh, and friends of the Institute who maybe aren't even studying with us to provide for the material needs to make all of this possible. And our staff has been tremendous uh, in, in, I mean, serving and galvanizing and, and just a and beautiful team. As you can, as you I was just going to say, I, there's always moments in each class where you see the fruit of the, the fruit of the class in the fellows' lives. And I will just say from my own perspective, that's something that keeps me going because I've now sit in on a lot of classes and heard a lot of, a lot of classes. And um, there's always moments that there's always these sparks where like you see something land in a student and their eyes just light up or you see this conversation that goes back and forth. And then there's these moments of just understanding. Um, I will say that that, it's a huge jet propulsion forward because we're not doing like, I'm not doing this for me. We're doing it so that students can learn and people can commune together. If you somehow are part of an experience that incites a love for learning in someone who's never experienced it, they will become a learner for the rest of their lives. Uh, they will no longer be happy sitting around and watching reruns of I Love Lucy or Star Trek. Um, they will wonder about book. They will wonder about what history books are out there that they should be reading or what new fiction, what new philosophy and theology. In other words, once you incite that love, it's not easily, it's not satisfied by the same old cultural tripe that most people have been imbibing day after day. That's right. In a way right. you're creating an unhappiness in the student. And That's the unhappiness a, is, Oh my God, what have I been missing all these years? It's like the blindness of the, the beach. Like, Gee, you know, I'm 35. Why haven't I un understood how wonderful it's like learning to love poetry or, or great music. And, uh, 
I, I have many students who come back to me every now and then and say, Deal, I'm so glad you taught me, or they call me professor. I am so glad you taught me Aristotle. It changed my life. And I have several students that have gone on to fame and glory in various professions. Uh, I have a lot of students who became Catholic. Uh, and uh, all I can say is as a teacher, there's no, there's no greater uh, set level of satisfaction than knowing that you've been part of that and you've been a positive impact. You've had a positive impact on someone's life. Amen. It's like childbirth, birth, but as I tell my wife, but way, way more painful. I'd like to ask Nicole. Um, I think I know, but how do you, how do you recognize when somebody has caught this spark? I mean, how do you read that face or is it in the voice? What, can you describe that? Well, I think that if there's, it's always in the eyes, but people glow. Speaking of childbirth, I think there's like a pregnancy analogy there where they're sort of ripe with the, the joy of learning and they glow. And it's kind of a, Sounds silly to say that, but, um, and, and it prompts you, it prompts the person to continue to engage. I think the interesting thing is you don't have an experience like that. And then you're like, okay, now I'm good. I'm done. I'm all, you know, now I'm going to go eat dinner. It, it furthers the discussion. You continue asking questions and it's not something that you experience once and then you're done. Um, it guides you forward. So I think when that, when moments like that happen in a classroom, um, it doesn't just affect the individual person. I think it can ripple. affect the whole classroom because it brings the, everyone you know, together. You know, I once had a student um, who, it ripples. Yeah, exactly. Sort of moment. And in, out of, out of this depth of silence, she speaks up finally. And she says, it's all real. It's real. She was shocked by this. It's real. Uh, and I think that's interesting because the the currency of the world is to deal in that which is precisely unreal, but appears to be real. And when a when a mind, especially when a young mind, can realize what Pope Benedict calls the glitter, you know, is just glitter, and there's something real at a deeper level. That's when the um, the uh, the meta, it, well, it's, 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 it's a turning. It's, it's, it, it's a, it's a turning. It's a turnabout. That's a shocking, wonderful experience. You know, and what I find myself doing, and I'll be 72 next week. Um, I find myself constantly cycling back over, like right now I'm rereading German idealism, Hegel, and where I think Western, Western philosophy, just after Kant and Hegel, just, you know, you talk about loss of the real. There it is. Uh, I'm also I'm I'm rereading books on the World War One because I think it was the signal moment in modern society. World War One destroyed the world that created the great books. At least it destroyed confidence in it. And uh, to to read about how these generals sent people over the top out of the trenches into machine, you know, fixed uh, and camouflage machine gun fire and watch them drop by the thousands. The moment they stepped, you know, out of their trenches and kept doing it day after day, it teaches you something about the human, a lesson about the human condition that should never be forgotten. That's right. And, and that's why the work that we're doing here, it is work, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. Nicole, and Brian, you guys work, you guys work hard. Okay. And you do a great job. And all of our team works hard, but it, it is work to do this. And that's kind of that that's, well, let's just announce it right here, Nicole. We need help. Okay. This is the feast of St. Albert the Great. Uh, this is the title of our podcast here. We, we've been in, in uh, launched officially Feast of St. Albert. 
2018, we incorporated. Feast of St. Albert 2019, we launched to the public as an institution. Feast of St. Albert 2020, we started classes. We've done 15 so far. And now it's the Feast of St. Albert 2021, November 15th. It's typically an evergreen podcast, but now it's a Feast of St. Albert episode here. And we're going to launch the great campaign. Okay. Nicole. Can I say this, can I say yeah, this John? Say whatever uh, You've been with us from the beginning, by the way. I, I owe you thanks, and it's not just my first and a half beer talking. You, well, I know, you, I know. You were a believer before anybody was, and you helped get us a great faculty together. Um, you got us Pierce. Pierce is on board because of Our your friend Joseph Pierce. And what a, what a job oh, he's done. Tony Esselin. So, yeah, you can say whatever you want, Deal. Go ahead. Oh, I want to say, give my, you know, support the cause. Uh, it doesn't matter how much you give, just give. And I mean, you can, you can do the math yourself. If the 500 fellows all gave a hundred dollars a year or $10 a month, uh, that knowing something is coming in on a steady basis is what any nonprofit needs to. to That's understand. right. Yeah. We've set a goal. Nicole, tell us the goals we've set. What are we trying to do here? This is a crazy, this is as crazy as, the Albertus Magnus Institute. How about $50,000? We have a bunch of things with newsletters and giveaways. And um, you can go to our website. We'll be sending out. Um, We're going to raise for that. Just, oh, that that's social really media doable. To, that's very doable. And when do you want to raise this by? Between November 15th and the end of the year, December 31st. I think that's doable. And I'm going to send out a special email to a list of friends of mine, ask them each to give a thousand dollars. Thanks deal. And, uh, See how many real friends you have, but you know, th- th- there are a lot of people out there who love what you're doing. They may not know much about it. We've got to tell them about it. And we've got the, it, Give them the opportunity, especially at the end of the year when they start writing their checks at the end of the year. That's the goal. Uh, So that's what we want to do. And I would encourage anybody listening to this podcast who has the means to do it, to give us $1,000. That's right. So that we can can keep this platform alive, this, this, this platform that offers the real thing when it comes to education. Thank you, Deal. And I have no problem asking people to give something that might hurt a little bit. In fact, I think a gift that hurts a little bit to give is an even better gift. And and you really you really you buy in at that point. It becomes your mission as it is ours. And people don't understand, you know, or at least it takes a while to get it to get it through. But our cost per class, just our cost. You know, when you pay for the infrastructure and the staff and the professor honoraria, it's about $7,000 per class. And we're welcoming 25 fellows in to that class live and asking for nothing. But if they want to give some, and, and frankly, we don't even bug them about it that much, right? I don't even beg for my, you don't see the emails coming through. Like a lot of nonprofits, you know, you're on their email list. You're getting hit up for money three times a day. Right. I don't have a stomach for that. And I don't think it's effective. And so we trust the fellows and the friends of the Institute to see the beauty, to see the value of what's happening here and support it because this is only possible through the goodwill of people and the providence of God. And so we're counting on both of those things. We're gambling on both of those things. And some would say we're doing, we're we're gambling recklessly, but we're still here. And so we'll see what happens. Brian, you want to add to that at all? I think that um, well, what what I would say um, is the I think the evidence um, of of the tremendous value and the tremendous good that's being experienced is the fact that um, as soon as someone takes one of these courses, which we offer for free. Um, the, the rate of future donation just goes way through the roof. And so what I'd say to anybody out there who's listening and who hasn't checked us out or hasn't, 
uh, come in to take a look at what we're doing, um, you know, we give access to all of our recorded courses. We record every class and we have an archive that can be accessed for as little as $25 a month. Um, but once folks start doing that, once folks experience the courses, either a free course or they uh, enter into the archive, um, when they become a friend of the Institute and are giving at $25 a month, they give more, right? They're, they're going to give more. And frankly, if you don't have 25 bucks a month, we'll still let that's you right. get access. And this, that's the thing, Deal, is that while these classes are being offered live and interactive for the 25 fellows who, who registered early enough to make the cut, everything's recorded and stored in a veritable paywall on our website. And that's available for all fellows uh, who are giving at $25 a month or more. There's about 300 hours of great content there, and we're only getting started. I mean, we're on, there's going to be thousands of hours eventually. You can share this stuff with your parish groups, your, your friends, your community circles, your kids. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's an ever-growing vault of extremely valuable content. And don't tell me it's not worth like two Netflix subscriptions, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that you've, you've made the point, and that is that we, uh, we're offering experience that is more powerful than all these screening apps and streaming services. That's right. The experience of, of reading these books, discussing these great ideas, these great novels and, uh, and actually becoming part of the conversation rather than being passive observer. Brian, you mentioned passivity when you were talking about what is it like to be lectured and, and activation is what the, the dialogue method is about. And, the, and then, you know, Socrates um, was called the gadfly, right? He stung people. Now, oftentimes he stung people because they deserved to be stung. They needed, you know, a wake-up call. But people... Uh, True students realize that learning is a ongoing process of being stung, of realizing what you don't know, of realizing you need to know things more clearly or, you know, be more uh, observant or more nuanced in your thinking or more alive to certain aspects of what you're reading. And they don't mind. Just like I, you mentioned earlier, I get taken down in my own class. I don't mind that. That's learning. And, you know, I got over mining that a long, long time ago. And I'm frankly uh, sorry it took me so long because that's when you've really come to a point where education and learning is pure joy, pure joy. It is well said. And so we want to invite everybody who's listening and not yet a fellow to Sign up, become a fellow. It's really worth doing. It's why we do what we are doing. And just dive in because you're going to meet uh, dozens, if not hundreds of friends of, of like mind and goodwill and pursue the only thing worth pursuing together. And now there's a place to do it. And maybe the best part is that it's, it's as free as it is freeing. And that's not just a catchphrase. It's as free as it is freeing. The Reckless Quest for Truth, Beauty, and Goodness. Join us. Amen. Amen. Nicole, I want to thank you for all your work, and thank you for joining us on this podcast for a beer or two. I don't know how many you got to, but Brian, as always, just one. That's okay. That's good. Brian, thank you. Happy Feast of St. Albert the Great. God Amen. bless your work Happy in Denver. Feast. Nicole, our, our team is deal. I don't know if you know this, but our team is all over the place. Brian's out in Denver. Nicole is in Gallup, New Mexico. And you are where? I'm now in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. Beautiful. Well, thank you. I know you weren't drinking beer, but thank you for joining us for a whiskey. What do you got there today? Just whiskey? Well, it's uh, Glenn Morangy, 12 years old. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like scotch too old. Otherwise, you'd like, you'd like it if you drank Glenmorangie. 
It's so smooth. No, I don't think it's, twelve it's, is too old. The Glen Moral is great, but Glen Orange is very smooth. Okay. Yeah. John right. like John yeah. likes peaty scotch. Let me, I yes. do. I feel like it, it, the more not, this oh, is not, yeah, like drinking a campfire. That's I'm more eighteen. That's my you know that's that's the kind where you can't smoke cigars with it because your mouth will light up and start burning. <laughs> that's true. That's that's how you that's how you keep your immune system up. Though. Okay, guys, we're gonna wrap this up. Now I have to know what everyone else is uh, drinking. Okay, well today I was drinking a beer inertia blonde. Uh, nice. Brewed by the monks of Norcia, another great work worth supporting. Yeah. Reckless, it's also reckless. What they also reckless and and beautifully successful and beautifully fruitful. Brian, so, what are you drinking? I have the Guinness drinking, Foreign Extra Stout. So that's well, that's yeah, pretty it dark, is. huh? It is, yeah, yeah extra stout. Yeah. Wow, lots of and calories Nicole? in that. <laughs> yeah, it's like dinner. <laughs> Nicole, how about you? Well, my bottle's a little deceiving. It's not Sierra Nevada. It's some homebrew milk stout. Whoa. Whoa. So. How do you like? Get, oh, you just got married and already home. making their own homebrew. Homebrew milk stout. Wow. Oh, yeah. We got a cellar going. Oh, I can't wait to visit you on my on my way to Texas next yeah. time. So. Well, if homebrew yeah, milk stout and fresh pig, right? Fresh pig. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Sounds good. You guys, uh, thank you. Thank you for everything you do for the Albertus Magnus Institute. Magnusinstitute.org to become a fellow or support the great campaign. Help us reach our goal of $50,000. With your help, we can do it. Thank you, Deal. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Brian. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Thank all of you. Bye-bye. Thank you. The Magnus Podcast is a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. To learn more, way more by becoming a fellow today visit magnusinstitute.org copyright 2021 albertus magnus institute incorporated all rights reserved